0: You are listening to Meeting of the Madams. My name is Amory Sky. Hey, hey. Got a lot in your mind and we can talk about it. Got a lot going on and we can talk about it. If you're looking for grooves, I wanna talk about it. If you looking for food, you wanna talk about it. I good news, I wanna talk about it. It. welcome to another episode today we'll be speaking with dr regina N. bradley about her new book chronicling Sangonia: the rise of the hip-hop south that came out earlier this year dr bradley is an alumna of the nazir jones hip-hop fellow at harvard university she is currently an associate professor of english in the african diaspora studies at kennesaw state university outside of atlanta and co-host of the critically acclaimed Southern Hip Hop Podcast, Bottom of the Map, with music journalist Christina Lee. Dr. Bradley is an expert in contemporary black culture in the American South. She holds degrees from Albany State University, Indiana University at Bloomington, and a PhD in African American Literature from Florida State University. Dr. Bradley is also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, and I apologize in advance for getting a little hyped about Southern hip hop. Going to college in Atlanta, Georgia, and in the AUC Center, I had a little bit more exposure to Southern hip hop and artists before they launched. So definitely hype. I hope y'all though do enjoy and take something away. Um, Let's welcome Dr. Bradley. Let's go. (laughs) Because we're exposed to up and coming Mm -hmm. artists. She used a prime example that um, sophomore year, Travis Porter came. Um, to our little sophomore pageant because that's all mm-hmm. we could afford, and he was still up there, up and coming. Remember how they booed him off the stage? She said, "Next you know, like two months later, they have a chart topper." She's like, "But we were like, uh, I think we were exposed um, differently to hip hop." <laughs> I, I can believe it. Um, Is Stankonia the heart of where your passions and profession collide? You mean like the book or the or the album? Yeah, the book. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm about to the say because
1: I mean, you know, Stakonia was an important soundtrack for high school, but I don't necessarily know if it's the center. Um, yeah, I feel like uh it was an opportunity for me to share um both personal experience and, and academic experience about why Southern Rap is important to how we think about the contemporary black South. Because we don't really have the language to articulate what a contemporary black South looks like. So that's what I wanted to do in the book and also prove the folks, you know, what I'm saying that the South, isn't just this, you know, traumatic, horrifying space for black folks. You know what I'm saying? Um, I wanted to show the fun in it. Uh, and hopefully, um, you know, the stories that I share, especially in the introduction, kind of, kind of disband that idea that if you're Southern and black, then you're just, Oh, woe is me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Definitely not. This, that's not how we roll down here. I mean, there might be a few of us, but for the most part we, we don't do the what was me thing.
0: <laughs> Definitely we do not. Okay. So in saying that, especially when you started in the introduction, you um, mentioned throughout the book about the post-civil mm-hmm. rights era and this whole notion that hip hop creates the new South. And so what was so different with the genre of music during civil rights and post-civil yeah, rights?
1: I mean, I think it's important that, you know, there are, multiple generations of post-civil rights now, you know what I'm saying? So if we think about the civil rights movement and we go to folks like the Freedom Singers, for example, who, who use gospel to uplift and kind of speak to these experiences about why we need to overcome, how we're going to overcome, um, that music right after that, especially in the South, will probably be soul music and funk in the 70s. That uh, kind of spoke to this idea, and you know, academically, post civil rights just means like you know after the civil rights movement, the formally organized civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s. I just want to put that out there. Um, no, that's <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it's like there's multiple generations. So like technically, you know, I'm a member of the post civil rights generation, but I'm a member of the post civil rights hip hop south generation. You know what I'm saying? Like I came up hip-hop was the backdrop. Hip-hop was telling me what was going on uh, in Atlanta for, you know what I'm saying? Growing up in Southwest Georgia, it's a little different, you know what I'm saying? Um, So whatever was popping in Atlanta was definitely popping into Benny, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, if it was on the radio up there, it was definitely down here. But being able to hear people on the radio who sounded, well, it took me a while to sound like this. (laughs) um uh, coming from the dmv you know my accent was a little different i still talk hella fast but the accent is different um or the you know the dialect is different um but you know being able to hear people on the radio that sounded like classmates and friends you know what i'm saying was was a portal for me to kind of think about what this contemporary black stuff looks like in conversation with somebody like my grandparents who came up in the jim crow south you know what i mean so it was important to have these like these touchstones um and what's interesting is that you know I tell the story pretty much anytime I interview about this book but my father um he was a huge funk fan you know what I mean like you know you come home we would come home from church on Sunday I would get that you know super good Sunday nap after church Sunday nap (laughs) uh, right before you eat you know what I'm saying um and then yes, you know we gotta while have sleep or why everybody else is sleep you know my my dad would be outside and he'd be washing cars and then while he's washing cars he's listening to cameo and brick and gap and sos band and i'm like oh okay and i wouldn't i wouldn't realize until i was older that all of the funk that he really really enjoyed was coming out of atlanta and i was like oh so my dad technically set me up, you know what I'm saying? Because funk influenced the way that organized noise produced for these pioneering Atlanta groups. You know what I mean? Um, So yeah, I mean like you know, a post-civil rights music there's multiple musics now. You have funk music, you got hip-hop, you have like what folks call the golden era of southern rap which for me I feel like is the 90s up until like about I don't know, about 2005. And 2005 is an easy marker because that's Hurricane Katrina. So... When okay. Katrina happens, you know, that shifts so many different things. And then now we're in like what I call the digital South. You know what I'm saying? Um, we we stream everything, you know what I mean? So regionalism and music aren't necessarily uh, inextricably linked in ways that they were in previous
0: generations of the music.
1: Did I answer your question? I hope I answered your question.
0: No, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you no, you did. And I will just saying that I realize that with even how you said hip-hop was the backdrop to yours. Mm-hmm. I pulled some of my friends just to ask them um, about who was their favorite rapper or their favorite Southern hip-hop moment. All but two who said Drake and Tupac. Everybody uh-huh. else, I know. <laughs> Everyone else said from P.D. Pablo to yeah. Crunk yeah. The stuff that like, lit us up between high school and college. That was a moment where lit. And even my friend, he said Young Jeezy and President Obama's election night. It's like, oh God, the, no, I can't. I can't
1: listen to my president is black. It is one. Of, I mean, it's not. I know, a song, but it's like
0: I. It's, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But that night in November 2008, the yeah. AUC turned up and Jeezy showed up.
1: Okay then. Okay, okay.
0: I'm sorry. That that was the highlight for us and seeing security like who are you? We were like that's a hot. That's what we playing all night. That I know. But um, I mean, it's not, it's not even like, I think recession is, is a
1: damn good album. Like I love, I love recession, but man, it was like, Obama wins, I'll never forget it. It was November 4th, 2008. It was my husband's birthday. My husband, and we were just kind of, we were sitting there and we were looking at each other like, yo, a black man just won present. Like we were sitting there and then like, we listened outside and all of a sudden that's all you heard. And then the next yes. <laughs> was like, you know, gonna play it again. My president is black. And then like a couple hours later, we were like, no, for real. Yo, I know y'all ain't like, tired of the, my president is black. How about the <laughs> remix featuring Nas? I was just like, <laughs> I, was like so if I,
0: I know. Ever hear my president is black again? It'll be too soon. But I mean, I get it. Like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? And I get I, it. We had it was it's moments. But like, yeah. I'm like you. Sometime I think you heard so many songs and repeat back then. And you were like, I'm good. You ain't gotta play no throwback I today. You ain't gotta play that no more.
1: Like I, I just, I'm straight. I'm straight. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel that though.
0: So moving like to Outkast, Um, 1995 Source Awards. Boom. Boom. Outkast sitting with Shanti Daz. I have -hmm. a question Mm -hmm. though. You didn't make as much reference like women in the rise of hip hop South. So what did, I mean, you didn't let me say you did, but not to like, (laughs) let me, let me back up.
1: I'm just messing with you. you. It's all good. He did. But
0: what's the difference Shanti Daz and other record executives making in the rise of the hip hop South?
1: Oh no doubt. No, I mean, I mean, um, actually, gender is something I'm actually talking about for the second book project. So thank you for for calling me out on my stuff. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate that. No, for real. I, for, I appreciate it. Um. So all right. So what happened at the source at the Source Awards was was crazy because Shanti Das at the time was was working at LaFace, Right. So right. she was. Uh, basically grooming these these two these dudes to to be on a, a public stage, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I also think the other interesting thing too is that if you listen to the very first thing that you hear on Southern Playlist kind of like music, you hear the voice of Dee, Dee Hibbler, um, who is Miss Peaches. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a woman is introducing this this highly conceptualized Southern rap album, which makes it stand out. Um, so, in terms of production, I think that there's there's a lot there. But I'm I'm also interested in the role that women played behind the scenes because one, it bunks the myth that women weren't part of hip hop and all, all we are, are just video vixens and you just see us visually and stuff like that. I mean, like women are behind the scenes doing that work, doing the labor, you know what I mean? Right. Um and some folks would say the invisible labor, you know what I mean? Like all the glory and the glamour are for the artists, but it's actually like the artist team behind them that allows them to be great, you know what I mean? So I think, it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an accident that Shanti Das was the one that was there without the cast the night that they got booed off stage. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's also not an accident that um, Denny Hibbler was the first voice that you hear on Southern Playlist. It's not a, it's, I mean, like, I think that it's important that it's not just women happen to be coming by. You know what I mean? Like there's still this idea that, oh, women just are happenstance in hip hop. And I'm like, nah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not at all. That's that's not how it works. It's not happenstance. It's just that you, you know, sometimes women work intentionally behind the scenes. You know what I'm saying? Because oftentimes, when you're not in the public eye, that's when you get shit done. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I just feel like that's that's part of it. But I think the other part of it too, and this is something that I'm, I guess, starting to marinate on for the second book is, you know, what are the ways that Southern hip hop frees Southern Black women and girls to actually speak their own truths? You know what I'm saying? Like so, 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 something. Like for me, I was a, well, I call myself a recovering debutante, a recovering preacher's kid. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, when I didn't have space to talk about my frustrations and talk about the challenges of being a black girl in the South, you know what I mean? Um, a Christian black girl in the South, right? Kind of going up against this thing about what it means to be ladylike and unladylike. Uh, hip hop was my escape. It was my out, you know what I mean? I didn't have to worry about being Lady when Trina telling me this is what I need to do to be the baddest bitch, you know what I mean? Or Joy telling me about what to lick and who's supposed to lick what. I'm like, oh, oh my. Um, so yeah, I just feel like that's, that's definitely a part of the narrative that needs to be further explored. Um, but we've always been there. Like black women have always been there, period. Right,
0: that even taking me to another question that I didn't even okay. think of till just now. So we're talking like talking about Trina yeah. in Miami versus like now with Megan, the Stallion in Houston. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that women have to be more explicit then as Southern rappers?
1: No. I just feel like that was their out. But I also feel like, you know, they're following and, and regionalizing the blueprint that Lil Kim gave us. Cause the game changed when Lil Kim came out with hardcore in ninety seven. You know what I'm saying? Before that, you know you had women talking about sex and hip-hop salt and pepper literally had a song that said let's talk about sex which was talking right. about hiv awareness you know people forget that
0: <laughs> and no why
1: was, I, and yeah. why it was such a controversial thing like you like you're openly talking about the hiv aids epidemic in the early 90s you know telling folks to get tested and do these things tlc i mean left eye on the, cover. the condom patch it was in combat you know what I'm so it's like i don't understand why folks lose lose their mind when they hear you know women rappers talking about sex anyway it changed with little kim okay so with hardcore it offers a different type of blueprint it offers an explicit sex blueprint kim tell you what she want what she wanted what she gonna put in her mouth what you gonna put in your mouth what you gonna do (laughs) you know what i'm saying And it's sold, right? Like the other thing is, is like folks wanna think about hip hop culture as being corrupted. I'm like, it's not necessarily corrupted. It's also an industry. So the industry saw that this worked for Lil' Kim that became the universal blueprint, so to speak for women to break through in mainstream, what you hear on the radio or see on 106 and Park type rap, right? Because for, for every Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown, you have somebody like a Jean Grey, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or or a Bahamadia or Queen Latifah, who was still giving us a little bit of rap, you know what I mean, before she completely crossed over. Um, So all that to say, I think because that blueprint was set up, that was what was thought to be successful. Even when you think about somebody like a Nicki Minaj, right, before Nicki Minaj became the Heroku Barbie that, you know, folks love and adore, she was a street battle rapper. Like, be me up, Scotty, man. Like, listen to it. It doesn't doesn't really talk about sex explicitly, but because that's what gets folks' attention and that's what gets you paid, then that's going to be the blueprint. Now, what's happened that I think is interesting is what's going on currently with folks like Megan Thee Stallion, City Girls, Big Lotto, and all of them, is that they also are using this particular type of blueprint, but the game is changing because they're not looking at it as to try to please a man. Men are not at the forefront of how they think about sex. they there no they there that's not like i ain't doing this for you you know (laughs) you know what i'm saying um and that makes folks uncomfortable yo like when WAP comes out with megan the stallion and cardi b you know what i'm saying Folks lost their mind. They were like, this is not for this is just such a sexually explicit song. I'm not gonna lie. The first time
0: I listened to it inside the video, oh, the I was,
1: I to it, I was, like, I was oh. like, Oh my
0: God. Oh my god. Like Cardi and Megan have gone to another level at this point. I said I was like, this, this is ninety-five? This like, and you can say whatever you want to say. No, <laughs> I was I was
1: like leashes and whips, and I was just like, Oh my, oh my so I mean like that's why I I'm like in recovery. It it shook me a little bit, but then I sat there and I was like, you know what? Go back and take some notes, okay. You know, leashes, whips. Oh, okay, maybe, maybe, right? But I think it's like again, it's this establishment of a sexual autonomy in an industry that is still focused on men. Mm -hmm. And men are not at the forefront of anything that Meg say, they just, you know, a means to an end. They don't she don't do what she does, but she says this multiple times, you know what I mean? Like one of my favorite lines. From her, from her album is like, you know what I'm saying? They say I'm full of myself and I ain't even got to dessert. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I just feel like there's, there's that, but I think the other flip side of that is, it is complicit of us as consumers of hip hop to assume and demand that artists solely be responsible for how their art is interpreted. If I have a, I have a 19 year old, I have a 19 year old daughter going on 20, right? If she was still 10 and 11, I'm not listening to WAP in front of her. She might listen to because her little friends, you know what I'm saying? But we're going to have a conversation about it. It's not just going to be like, oh, well, this is just bad. Let me just put it out there. That's such a flat response. Okay, well, what is sex positivity? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about why it's important that women see themselves as sexually autonomous, particularly black women see themselves as sexually autonomous because for so long, sex was something that was done to us. We're not part of the conversation. If we think about enslavement. Yes. You know what I mean? There is no language to articulate sexual assault for enslaved black women. We're still fighting for that, for that. This idea of, you know, black women can be sexually victimized, sexually assaulted. Yes, so the flip very side of that, so. yeah, so I feel like the flip side of that is Yes, it's, it could be raunchy. Yes, it's explicit. But I mean, they're not the first. And they damn sure ain't going to be the last. It's not just happening in hip-hop. It happened in blues. It happens in R&B. <laughs> you know what I mean? Folks like Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, crawled so that Meg could fly. I, just, I,
0: mean, I agree. No. So I know we know that white masculinity in the music industry they are mm-hmm. what has driven it for years which you kind of point to that in the book but also the question i have a question about do you feel that clive davis funding LeFace mm-hmm. of course we know found about la reed and babyface did that start a different notion for music in the south as well well I for like was- hip-hop and r&b in the south
1: uh, yeah, I feel like it was my sort of update r and b contemporary r and b in the south but before that, I think about Stax records in Memphis, right? Um so you know Black Moses and all of them. Um so I think it's it's an opportunity to update what what contemporary music in the South is doing because you know, technically before OutKast, they weren't checking for hip hop groups coming out of Atlanta. And the only reason that they were checking for groups coming out of Atlanta who did rap was because Organized Noise was working on R&B records. And they were like, yo, we have this group that we want to, we want you to listen to. So they got their chance on the LaFace Christmas compilation album. So when you listen to something like Players Ball, you hear the sleigh bells in the background, but it's not a Christmas song, Song, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's it's... They went they went there. I think they went there to kind of amplify what they wanted the city to sound like as a reflection of where they wanted the city to go. You know what I mean? So I mean, what about what I mean by that is Lafaye's touches down, you know, Atlanta is preparing for the Olympics. So shout out to Maurice Hobson and the legend of the black Mecca where he talks about, you know, this idea of the Olympification of Atlanta if Atlanta is only seen as this is a black city so to speak um a regional city then that won't attract the the type of industry and the type of money that we're trying to attract so how do you do that you get the linen party stuff you get the linen party music that you know the TLCs the Tony Braxton's the young ushers <laughs> yeah right um that what what folks felt this is what Upperly, upperly mobile black music sounds like and then you get somebody like outcast who's like yeah that's all well and good but that's not how it really is in the a that's not the only way that it is in the a and i even think so it's more so goody mob than outcast you know what i'm saying um goody mob was much more vocal and crit and, and uh criticizing of how atlanta was doing its thing of how atlanta officials were were propagandizing the city um and also just really committed to the city of atlanta in general like i feel like goody mob is more atlanta-centric than outcast which i talk about in the book a little bit um but yeah i just feel like it was it was a a sonic reflection it was it was industry building but there was industry geared towards a particular demographic
0: (laughs) (laughs) no no i I agree and then i know you went into clifford t.i harris and what Mm. that means you did touch on again who, who what was the difference between atlanta regional artists versus what pushed certain artists to a national stage and mm-hmm. who say local and mm-hmm. then you talked about writing the dream and-, and stuff but yeah so another question would be do you think the ATL being the capital of the new south even now has it explored all of its creativeness and hip hop in that area genre of music I don't think so I, think, so. I think that's the one thing that's
1: going to keep Atlanta going is that we know how to remix ourselves it's not just, I mean, because if that was the case, then when when, when OutKast came out with ATLians or whatever, that's it. But I mean, like, there's always somebody who does something that inspires somebody else to give us something new, right? Um, Because, I mean, like, you know, OutKast and Goody Mob and all those, and Kila Wally made room for, like, you know, bass music in Atlanta, which makes room for OutKast, which makes room for crunk music, which makes room for trap music, which makes room for all So I feel like we are not necessarily in a lull, but maybe like there's a there's a newer type of renaissance that's going on in terms of how the music is done and how the music is produced. Because one of the questions that I often ask my students to think about is, you know, the Atlanta pre 2005, right? Mm-hmm. That hyper regionalism that's present in so many artists work, like center, intentionally centering Atlanta as it, you know what I'm saying? Made way for how we know Atlanta as the as the Hollywood of the South now, right? But because we're in a digital era, I'm curious about you know what role social media plays and how we think about the region, because my students just accept Atlanta as Atlanta, like they don't they, like there's there's no question in their mind that Atlanta once upon a time was a regional city, not necessarily this international hub that everybody wants to come to and nobody wants to leave. <laughs> Right, Um, so I think what's going on is that we're currently in starting a new era and I'm not sure where it's going. You know what I'm saying? Cause I feel like, I mean, I feel like my expertise to talk about Atlanta music kind of shuts down at about 2006, 2008, which is when I start my PhD program. So I don't, I'm not as, I don't listen as deeply as I did because I was being a graduate student. Um, There's no room for nothing else when you're a graduate student. Um, so I feel like a lot of the more contemporary Atlanta artists and contemporary Southern artists, you know, with the exception of folks like a big crit, I love, I love crit, but there's that, um, are, are, are there for folks who are invested in the music like I was in the music of the 90s and 2000s. That's for somebody, that's somebody else's scholarship. That's how I feel like it is. So I'm, I'm hoping that a book like, my book, *Chronically Stankonia, opens the, the door to have these conversations with somebody who is much more well-versed
0: in how to think about the larger trajectory of the music. I guess, just wrapping up, what is your nugget of advice going forward and how you should examine hip-hop and Black culture in the future, Yeah, now and in the future?
1: One is, is you know, and I feel like I say this 11 times, but it's like, in the same way that Black folks and Blackness and the Black experience isn't monolithic, meaning that we're not cookie cutter, the people who are talking about the impact of the music can't be cookie cutter. The way that I talk about Georgia rap is one way, but I feel like somebody who's actually from Texas or from Tennessee or from Louisiana has more insight and speaks more clearly to the the impact of the music where they're from. So I feel like, you know, if... Dre said that the South got something to say in 1995, then I feel like the South still got something to say. And that's the rallying cry for the podcasters, the documentarians, the the academics who have interest in hip hop in the South to reclaim the narrative, one, but also to make room at the table so that we can all eat and actually understand why this music is so dynamic. Because I don't think you're going to get that from just looking at it from my perspective or looking at it from another person's perspective. We all need to be in conversation with each other. So that's that's my nugget is to like make space and make room for these conversations to actually happen.
0: Yeah. And, oh well, I guess another question, what's your nugget for being a black woman in higher education, but also in a different space? Cause you being Nas, hip hop fellow at Harvard. I mean, you, you're a different tier. So what? what's... Yeah. what's <laughs> what's your negative for, for, for that
1: you have to be willing to support your own vision even in the face of adversity there are going to be so many folks who tell you "Nah, that's not how you're supposed to do it they're not going to see your vision they're not going to understand your vision you know what i'm saying it don't matter um it's on you, like it's on you to, to hold tight to what it is that you're trying to do. You know what I mean? I mean, like find support, granted, but don't sacrifice your vision in order to try to fit in with what you think other people are doing to be successful because their idea of success probably doesn't mirror your experiences or mirror what you need to do to be successful. You know what I'm saying? So just hold tight to your vision, like put the blinders on. You know what I mean? That's such an important thing. Um, and putting the blinders on doesn't mean that you are not going to be rejected that you're not going to be uh unappreciated that's going to happen but if you know that what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing and you're doing it the way that makes you joyful and makes you feel like you're representing where you're from then you're on the right path
0: okay thanks so much yeah and that is today's episode a little bit more turned up than usual but I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the hip-hop South and Atlanta and the changing music scene. You can check out, again, Dr. Bradley's book. It's currently St. Stangonia, The Rise of the Hip-Hop South. And on social media uh, at The Red Clay Scholar. Thanks for tuning in. One love, I'm Marie Sky.